on this episode of AV Week, how our associations should staff their governing boards, and Zoomtopia 2022, what came out of this week's Zoom conference. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Learn more at atlona.com. This is AV Week, episode 586, recorded Friday, November 11th, 2023. Organic Experiences. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. And by Middle Atlantic, what great systems are built on. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host today to talk about the news we have gathered, and we have got an incredible guest list and a couple of really cool stories. First and foremost, Gladys Maroquin uh, from Nukem and Boyd. Welcome, ma'am. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm Gladys Maroquin. I'm an AV consultant in Atlanta from Nukem and Boyd. All right. Also with us is Mr. Brock McGinnis from Due North in Canada. Welcome, sir. Always a pleasure, Tim. Uh, Mr. Michael Peebler from Atlas IED. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Tim. Great to be here, as always. And last but not least, Mr. Gary Kay from Rave Pubs. Welcome, sir. Hey, uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm excited to be here, Tim. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely, absolutely. So we've got, you know, really great guests here. We're going to hit a, on a couple of, of stories. The first one, uh, and quite frankly, the biggest one of the week, Zoomtopia 2022 uh, took place this, this week, uh, both virtually and in uh, Northern California. So if you were uh, blessed enough to go to Northern California, you got to see one of my hometown heroes, uh, Nelly, and I'm not kidding. He is one of my hometown heroes, and he is from St. Louis. Uh, you got to see Nelly perform. But you also got to see a number of really great uh, innovations, uh, a number of really great uh, additions to the, to the platform, some new partnerships. Uh, so honestly, quite frankly, guys, uh, it is one of the biggest uh, UC platforms, one of the biggest software packages that our, our folks have to, have to uh, work with and integrate. So Gladys, we'll start with you on this. What was the, the biggest uh, things to come out of Zimtopia for you uh, this year? Sure. Yeah. So I'll be honest, I didn't uh, get to attend or watch every session uh, from Zoomtopia since it's been a busy week for me. Um, however, I did notice a trend in kind of talking about meeting equity and just kind of what that looks like, what the requirements would be, and kind of everybody trying to get on the same page as far as that goes. Um, and this has been a talking point we've had over, you know, several verticals uh, with our clients and just everybody is expecting a certain, I guess, similar and consistent experience since in a post-COVID world, as much as you can say that uh, people, you know, when they come from working from home and then they go into the office, they want a, you know, seamless experience. They want it to resemble what they had at home in terms of quality. Um, and they want to be able to experience, you know, this this experience of having every individual participant be, participant be represented and heard. So I found that interesting. Um, I like how people are kind of trying to progress that and move forward with that. Um, you know, Zoom has its own version of 
I guess this, well, they call it Smart Gallery. MTR has its own version as well. Um, and you can see that uh, partners, when it comes to conferencing peripherals, are starting to implement that in their own ways as well. So I, I thought that was that was really interesting, and I, and I like that a lot. All right. Brock, same kind of question. What you, would you take away from this week? Gary Kay hasn't told me yet uh, what happened at uh, Zoomtopia, so I know nothing. Um, I normally rely on he and his team. Well, we have published some videos from there, but yeah. I'm not actually uh, very engaged, Tim, in, uh, in the cult of Zoom. Um, and I don't really care uh, whether my clients choose a Zoom platform or a Teams platform. Um, my job as an integrator uh, is to support them. Um, I would just like the Zoom people to start talking about their stock price again. Uh, once upon a time, every every meeting I ever had with a Zoom employee, it was like, have you seen our stock price? Um, and have you seen our stock price? Well, I bought some, and uh, unfortunately, I have seen their stock price, and it sucks. And I don't, and I don't think that them getting into the mail business or the calendar business um, uh, is uh, is going to help that. What I would love to see Zoom do um, is regain the lead that they had in the marketplace on Teams, because I think mm. it's a better platform. Um, and uh, I think it's a more people-friendly platform. Um, they had a huge lead. Uh, Zoom became the Kleenex word. We're going to have a Zoom call. We're going to have a Zoom call. And at least in the, in the world where I live, um, they are getting their butts kicked by, uh, by Teams. Fortunately, we can always count on Microsoft um, to uh, shoot themselves in the foot. And, uh, and the new licensing stuff that's going on and the fact that they're, you know, that, that they're making manufacturers dumb down uh, really valuable feature sets that contribute to meeting equity um, uh, in order to be certified and uh, that they're making the team's room something special uh, while taking away equal feature, you know, uh, um, features from Teams as a platform, uh, you know, hopefully that momentum will swing back, uh, you know, from Teams where it is right now in order to Zoom. So um, all I saw at a Zoom was they spent a pant load of their shareholders' money uh, holding this event, and uh, hopefully that gets the stock going back in the other direction. Because I'd at least like to break even. Maybe I should have asked that as a disclaimer beforehand. Like, how many of us? I do not. How many of us own, own stock um, at, at Zoom? So, uh, Mr. K, uh, Brock, Brock mentioned the fact that that he hasn't uh, seen anything. So, what what did you uh, what did you come away with uh, from Zoomtopia this week? So, I love Zoom. I actually think that they've done a really good job with their platform. I agree with Brock that uh, that they are doing a much better job of simplifying entering a, a video call and also navigating your way around the platform. I think it's amazing to me, if you look at the data, that the, 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 you know, something around half the people that are using Microsoft tools on a very everyday basis are using Zoom as their video platform. And I think that tells you a lot about the user interface problems. I think uh, Microsoft Front Row is a good attempt at meeting equity. But the truth of the matter is we do not have meeting equity and we will not have it because we don't have the tools to do it. Now, I, I, could, tell, I, I could tell you how you could build a room that would bring you better meeting equity, but the platforms themselves or the cameras for that matter 
aren't the solution for that. Um, and they won't be. You, it, like no matter how awesome Jabra does or no matter how awesome Logitech does with breaking up images and thin, sending them to the far site, that's not the solution for meeting equity. We really have to redesign rooms. And I, I know that some of the, the, the really good AV designers have done a really good job. That said, um, I don't think that Zoom was trying to get in the mail and calendar business. I think they were trying to, you know, those of us who are corporate users on an everyday, like think about, you have to take what we say with a grain of salt and a big, a giant grain of salt, because we are not only big users of the platforms, but we're also inside the industry using the platforms. Like if you can imagine yourself, put yourself in the position of someone buying a projector 20 years ago and not caring at all what the lumens meant. And we're pushing that down their throat like they should care. And they just like, well, if I turn it on, will I be able to see it with the lights? Okay, that's, that's what I meant. Okay, that's, that makes sense. It's sort of like that. And I think that if you're a, if you're a regular person <laughs> and you're just wanting to join a call and you join through Zoom, you're like, this is a great experience. And you join through Teams, you're like, what did I do wrong? I clicked on the link and it seemed to open something else. And then it gave me an error. Like, what am I doing wrong here? And then I'm in the call. They can hear me. They can see me, but I can't see them. That's a problem. Uh, and I think Zoom has continued to innovate simplicity. Um, I love to directly answer your question, Tim. I love Zoom spots. I think okay. Zoom spots, the new feature, is critical to that regular user who is the great majority of the people on the planet that use video conferencing or video platforms, whatever you want, video meetings. Um, I think teams will always, Brock, dominate because companies have decided that we want one platform to do it. We want to play one, we want to pay one SaaS fee. We don't want to pay 12 different monthly fees. And in fact, if anything, they're like, Microsoft, will you please buy Slack so we can just build that in? That's the last piece we need. Just buy Slack, we're done. Uh, and then that top down will exist. Everyone else will prefer Zoom or prefer Google Meet. I mean, you don't, don't discount Google Meet, which is obviously taking a giant portion of the market share by simply just telling people in K through 12, hey, by the way, it's already there. Uh, oh, oh, we didn't even notice it. Uh, and, and so that's helping them with market share. And then I think that's gonna be pervasive as these young kids get older. Um, but, I do, but to directly answer your question, Tim, I think the biggest thing that came out of that was Zoom spots from a Zoom standpoint. From the, from the hardware standpoint, much better integration, much better seamless usage, uh, very creative meeting equity solutions. But if, if you're really trying to get to meeting equity, you, you're just going to be constantly disappointed uh, unless an integrator is redesigning the room. There should be no front of room. A collaboration display should not be the primary display in a room. You should have many more displays in a room than you currently have, and you should rethink the way that you're placing cameras in a room. And I think if you think about it that way, then you, you really could get closer to meeting equity. But listen, that person that's on their cell phone that joins a meeting, good luck. We don't really care about them and we want them to stay muted the entire time. I, I don't know about design. I mean, designing an entire room um, or redesigning, I mean, to say. So I guess I've got a couple things about that. What we've been seeing more and more is, you know, with, having people having the option to be remote and working from home 
a lot of these rooms just were having to future-proof them so that they can be converted or reconverted from, you know, like a small collaboration space or an office. And I just don't know how that would, what that would look like if you're trying to just have, you know, various displays and kind of multiple cameras and what kind of flexibility that kind of allows for in the future if it does turn into an office. I would love to debate this all day long, but I know Tim doesn't want, but I, but I, uh, opinion. <laughs> all the solutions do a great job of making remote participants feel better about the way they're joining meetings, but none of them do the opposite. When we're in a live meeting, we do not care about the people that are online because they're not being presented to us in a way that makes us want to care about them. The idea of putting them right there in the front, that's awkward. Nobody wants to know that you're being stared at the entire time during a meeting, right? I mean, that's an awkward place to be. Um, and by the way, it doesn't look that good. Like the, the mock-ups look awesome in practical reality. They don't look good and it doesn't, it's not consistent. Um, but my, my idea, Gladys, is, is imagine most people don't sit in the front of the room. Like when you're in a real meeting room, everyone's not sitting in the front of the room, right? So why are we putting them in the front of the room in this sort of meeting equity concept? I, I was saying like you can, there's a lot of different ways you could do this, but one way is use extended desktop on a you know, Mac mini and, and vertically mount monitors all around the room and put one person on each monitor just like they normally would be in a room. And yeah, they'd be behind you and you'd have to turn around and look at them. But if we stop designing rooms with just a front of room concept and we just say the meeting is holistically in the room, those people come up and you could put them on life-size proportions using 43-inch monitors or even using 36-inch, 38-inch monitors, or, you know, you could use bigger if you want them to be bigger, and you, and you have a different person on each monitor, then the experience is more equitable in the meeting room. And then we can use these concepts on the far side to do the opposite for the remote participant. But it requires a redesign of the room and it requires a, a rethink of the way you're using the computer and what you're using the computer in the room for. Because the simplest way to do it is extended desktop, right? But there's other ways to do it too. You can use a, you know, a wall, a wall, some kind of monitor wall process. You can use AV over IP and do virtual um, canvassing, uh, which is a very inexpensive way of doing it once we have product and inventory. Um, <laughs> Gary, it's also entirely unnecessary. You meeting equity is entirely unnecessary? The, the concept of creating rooms to create this, uh, this special new environment for remote yep. participants um, is entirely unnecessary, right? There, we've had remote participants forever. They came in by telephone. We heard them. We addressed them, we conversed with them, we collaborated with them. And now, uh, simply by adding the video uh, element to it, to them, um, that uh, somehow we're being told we have to treat people specially. I don't worry about the people who are at the far end. I worry about the people who are in the meeting room um, because there's only three of them in the meeting room and there's 16 people online. And the 16 mm. people online all have their faces up like we have uh, on this call in gallery format uh, whether they've got their camera choose to have their cameras on or not uh, most people don't in a in a corporate call um, and the poor folks at the room um, you know they've got this security camera shot uh, of them far far away and are trying to 
you know, uh, become um, a, a meaningful part of the, the overall conversation. Because over two years of working at home, we all figured out how to have a really good call just like this. Uh, you know, point, counterpoint, contribution, um, and, uh, and collaboration. So I think spending a pant load of money uh, trying to make every snowflake special um, just, you know, just <laughs> is not worth, uh, worth it. And uh, it, you know, it goes back to the, uh, it goes back to the days of the, the, you know, the special teleconference rooms that people were banging half a million bucks on uh, to get that face-to-face -face experience. We have yeah, meetings, we share, we share information, we figure it out. And if the group is too big, um, we find smaller ways to collaborate more effectively. I will say I was in a meeting this week with a, a, a manufacturer who had suggested <clears throat> redesigning the room, not quite like Gary was saying, but brought back the idea of the conference table up against the display. And then, I mean, this this is what LifeSize did, what, 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah. telepresence. Yes, telepresence, yeah, thank yeah. you. Telepresence, yeah. Oh, I um, love selling those things. Well, I'm sure you did because <laughs> you probably made 50 furniture. points off of it. So for me, I mean, I... I'm not a huge fan of using this buzzword, this equity buzzword, you know, because you're Gary, you're right. We're, we're never going to reach a hundred percent equity when it comes to video conferencing. I think, you know, what, you know, everybody's trying to achieve is just having a more organic conferencing experience. Mm -hmm. um, understanding that there are limitations. There is always going to be technological limitations, but I think, you know, with Smart Gallery, sure, not everybody's going to have their camera on, <laughs> me included, <laughs> but um, I still think it's, you know, it it still is a better experience, right? So that's just my two cents on that. It's a better experience in room, right? Right. For the people in the room, it's a better experience, but not for the remote participant. No, I think for the foreign too. All right, Mr. Peebler, we'll have you give the last word on this and then we will, we'll do our... Our other one. Yeah, I'll take it a different angle for a second. So first of all, I, I thought Zoom Spots was very cool. I didn't, I'm I'm like Gladys, I didn't get a lot of time to check it out. So I was really quick, I forgot to say this. Can can one of you, either you or Gary explain what Google Spot or Google, good Lord, Zoom Spots was, is. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's like setting up um, a water cooler room or a break room where you just go and people are just hanging out in there waiting for other people to show up. And it's a way to sort of create, um, more casual collaboration yeah. where you're like, Hey, when I'm not in a meeting, you default your system to just stay on zoom and you're just hanging out in this room and people know where you are and you decide to let them in or not. And, and instead of having this view, you have, it's much smaller and less in, intense. Um, and I just think the idea of the casualization of platforms, I think is going to be appealing to people. But there's an element we haven't talked about here that I, I would guess I would love to hear Gladys's and I want Michael to finish, by the way, but Gladys's opinion on is it depends on the demographic too. meaning if I'm yeah. looking, if I'm building a room that's primarily 20 somethings, I'm going to build it a lot different than if it's if it's primarily mm. 40 somethings. But I mean, with Zoom spots, I'm curious, is it going to eat up my RAM like, you know, regular Zoom does? But um, <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> not if you have a Mac, not, not if you have a Mac computer, you got nothing to worry about using Windows, you're in trouble. Well, I think you're you're spot on with that, right? I mean, the demographic is definitely going to be, you know, a, a huge factor, a driving factor. But at the same time, it depends on what vertical we're talking about. I mean, when we talk about startups specifically, there that's a demographic that's you know twenties, thirties, all through throughout leadership, even 
But when we talk about, you know, more corporate environments, um, you know, leadership is going to be a certain demographic or generation for, you know, I would think a while. And, uh, you know, they have their own experiences and opinions about that. And they're really the ones, the stakeholders that are really going to be making those decisions. So, but I agree, yes, if you're, if you're, you know, kind of designing to a specific demographic, there are definitely differences for sure. So, yeah, so I'll just, I'm going to step out of the, the, the meeting room for a second and take a different angle. So, you know, Brock mentioned um, that, you know, Microsoft is dumbing down some of the features in order to make stuff compatible and, and all of that. I thought it was impressive that Zoom introduced so many development tools to, so that, so a number of our manufacturers in our industry can become, make it easier to integrate the technology. I thought that was huge because it's clearly extending the user base, right, working to extend it, um, which is going to obviously help support the the hybrid workplace model, which for so many of the manufacturers in our industry, um, and Atlas doesn't play as as hard in that uh, that application, but it's great to see because it's good for the whole industry, right? And and so the the further development of tools that are going to support that uh, help the guys that I know that are working at different companies all across the industry, you know, have some job security. This is going to keep being a big part of what we do. The other part is that over the last few years, I have watched a, a lot of people, including some really good friends, leave really great jobs in the industry to go work for Microsoft because it's very clear that Microsoft is making a major investment in the AV industry, right? They, they were going to go get everybody. And so um, Atlas ID is a member of PSNI. And so the fact that PSNI announced this week that Zoom is a PVP, a preferred vendor partner for all of the PSNI resellers, that's a that's a huge counterplay that is not going to get everybody, that's a select group of dealers, but there's some pretty impactful players in that space um, who may have been you know, they may have been like, uh, you know, Brock said earlier, I, I don't care which one my client goes with, but now you've got people who may have more of an agenda in to say, hey, I, I really think you should be looking at Zoom. And I thought it was a it was a counterpunch that I didn't see coming. Um, I saw Haley post something about uh, being excited to be at Zoomtopia. And I kind of thought to myself, why is Haley from PSNI at at it and and then saw the announcement and and again like I said we're we're a PVP and and I know there's a lot of conversations that have been going on inside the organization but I thought it was a a pretty well landed counterpunch from Zoom to to get into the AV space uh, and to play more friendly so that that was the big thing that what that impacted me as I as I looked at it from the outside and I will say so so day job here right i run marketing for cti cti is a member of psni um that was the biggest thing for me right and and, and cti is a pretty significant we're, good, we're a good size integrator um yep. we're not you know we're not on the SCN top 50 by design that's just a whole nother conversation um but uh but you've got diversified which is a good size you know not not for nothing but it's the second biggest integrator uh in in the world you've got spinatar which obviously just just got acquired they're a part of that right you've got a number of, of good players however and i don't want to discount this because i think it's huge and I, I loved all the things that that haley klein was able to post from zoomtopia to me it's a first step it's a way for zoom Agreed. not that they haven't 
right? They, they haven't kind of poo-pooed the integrator channel, but they haven't exactly been overly nice, right? Yep. This was a first step to me to say, hey guys, we're kind of back. We, we recognize that, that you are, are valuable. You do bring value to the customer. You do bring value to the end user. Uh, and we want to partner again. Um, so I, I think that was a huge one. I think they had to do something. I think it was getting away from them. Yeah, yeah and I'm not sure it's partner again, Tim, because when they came out of the gates, they were our competitor, not our partner. Uh, all right, uh, second and last story here, uh, which is fine, from uh, from Rave Pubs. Cedia appoints uh, Stefan Goodhue, Jennifer Millette, and James Ratcliffe to the board of directors for Cedia. Why are we talking about Cedia on AV Week? There is a reason. Um, they kind of appointed a slate of folks to join the Cedia board. This is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, up until this point, Cedia had allowed open elections. They would say, here are a list of five or six folks for you to vote on. Their membership would vote. According to the CEO, uh, Daryl Friedman, about 20% uh, would end up voting, 20 to 30%, depending on the year. So this time around, they said, well, here's a slate, either vote up or down. Matt Scott uh, and the gang over at ResiWeek did a special with Daryl and a, a few other folks. I'll have Mitchell, uh, I'll have Mitch put a link to that um, on this episode's page. But this kind of led me to a couple of things, whether it's PSN, well, PSN is not the wrong, right one, but but whether it's NSCA or it's Avixa or it's Cedia or any other organization, the overall question is, and Brock, we're going to start with you on this: How should these organizations? get leadership how should they in you know involve their membership to vote and and to, how should they because i don't want to lead the question here how should they involve their membership when selecting the leadership of the of the governing body none of them involve their membership <laughs> okay they uh you know these are self-perpetuating bodies and uh, they're either appointing uh, people who look like themselves and will continue the current uh, approach to, uh, you know, to dealing with their um, their constituents and, and their membership uh, and will uh, will be a get along gang. Um, and uh, uh, or they will be, as Havixa has been, um, aspirational and they will entirely change the makeup of their board. Uh, to bring in some of the people they think that um, that they should have, uh, you know, people from PayPal or Google, um, or uh, or a greater degree of thought diversity or cultural diversity um, or uh, you know gender diversity, uh, some of which is very very positive, and other of which uh, completely changes. The direction that an association goes from what its membership has traditionally expected from them. I don't know what the uh, controversy is with Cedia. Um, I see, uh, you know, somebody from America who's female. I see somebody from the UK, and I see somebody from APAC, and uh, you know, and and they're kind of spreading it around. What I loved about the appointments was that all of those people have been actively involved as volunteers in Cedia, and they are engaged and part of that organization. And what I have hated 
about many of the appointments Avixa has made, for example, in uh, you know over the course of the last decade, is they've brought in people with absolutely no stake uh, in the or, or engagement with the organization at, at all, and they've said you're now on the board of directors and you are going to determine uh, the course of what this organization does. And from somebody grassroots who's been a volunteer um, and uh, you know looks at folks who might never have been at an infocom uh, ending up on the board, to me that sucks. Just my two cents. That's a fair statement. Gary, same kind of question is, is looking at, at all these various organizations, how should they how should they they populate their their governing bodies? I mean, the the right answer there is, you know, whatever's in the bylaws should be followed uh, and not be modified unless the all the entire membership has agreed to change the bylaws. I don't know the specific instance that Brock is talking about with regard to Avixa. I was on the Avixa board years and years and years ago uh, and was elected. I didn't know there was such a thing as appointing members to the Avixa board. Now I'm, I wasn't aware of that. Um, but if, uh, as far as, I mean, I think, you know, CD is a different organization than it was uh, 15 or 12, 15 years ago when I beat them up for not having anybody except old white guys on the board. I, I'm famously known for, and it was universally hated for writing a series of articles about, you know, why was this an old boy network and why were there no women on the board and no, no people of color, period. Uh, and of course, you know, they hated me for a little while, but then they finally elected a bunch of women on the board and and I think they now have appreciated the diversity of of um, thought and the industry you know if you think about it I mean let's be honest Brock um, you and I've been in the industry a long time and we would go to trade shows and it, we would this is what the industry would look like the advantage of bringing women in the industry is clear I mean you get more empathy more creativity you get diverse thought I mean all that kind of stuff and and that works with every you know add in any diverse group uh, you know, whatever. I could tell you that um, I'm, I'm not qualified to know exactly what's going on over at CDA or at Avixa. I'm a casual observer now. I just don't have the time to be involved in the boards of those things. And I've, of course, been asked to run a number of times uh, again, but I'm too busy with what I do. I, I just want to make sure that they're representing whatever the bylaws say and the members want. And I think if, you know, if if they weren't, I would hope there'd be a member revolt. It's sad to see that there's only 20% people voting in any election. Uh, I mean, 20% is not representative of, I almost feel like you need to force them to vote, right? I mean, hasn't Canada done that, Brock? Doesn't, don't they, don't you have to vote in Canada in elections or is that the UK? No, I mean, no, not, 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 not yet. Peru does it. We've guilted them into it. We've guilted people into voting in the U.S., and that seems to have worked. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like 40%. Now it's like 60%. So I think we're like shaming people into voting. Uh, but, you know, I don't know what the right solution is there. And I, I don't have a problem with the CDA board. I, I feel like they have done a really good job. And, you know, and I don't have an individual problem with anyone on the VIXA boards. So I don't know the issue that Brock's talking about only because I haven't been that involved. Um, I mean, I love the Infocom and Cedia shows <laughs> as long as those continue to operate. And I would hope that there, like I said, I'd hope there'd be a member revolt uh, if if they weren't happy. My God, I would hope so. Michael, I don't know. what. Yeah, uh, you would hope so. You would hope so, right? I mean, I would, if I was a manufacturer, an integrator member, and I saw something happening that was not right, I would be all over that. But 
maybe people just don't have the time to anymore. All right, Mr. Peebler, how, how should we how should we get these folks on board? Yeah, I I mean I think the the you know Gary and and Brock have both said a lot of the things that that I would align with. I mean I think there's there's value in bringing a lot of diversity. I I I'm like Brock. I I I read the the article. Uh, I haven't been involved in Cedia in a number of years. Um, but I, I read the article and I was impressed by the, the candidates I mean, or, the, or the new board members. I, I thought they seemed impressive in regards to the write-up. Um, I liked the fact that they came from outside the U.S. So they represented the needs of the market and the various the variations that you would see in the market in those spaces. Um, so I thought that was that was very cool. I think you can, you know, there's always a, a big risk of change if you bring in outsiders. Um, I think outsider voices can be really valuable too. It's a matter of how much control do you give those outsiders? Are they board members? Are they influencers? Are they consultants? Are they, you know, whatever? But I, I think it's good to, to constantly look at what could be because we have, uh, in my 23 years in the industry, there's certainly plenty of times I felt like that we were headed down the same track because it was the same group of people all the time. Um, and and so I think the rest of the world's not doing that. I, I will say this, you know, um, I, I, coming into Atlas ID, I got a lot of exposure to the security side of the world and, and go to their shows and their events. And, and they're, they're in a very different place than we are as, you know, on the Avixa side. Um, and, and some things I think are, they do really well. And some things I think, wow, they still haven't caught up at all. Um, so I think everybody's got their, you know, kind of challenges in, that are inherited too. I, I agree with Gary. You got to follow the the laws of the organization, the bylaws of the organization. Uh, but I I like I liked seeing the diversity that Cedia put in uh, from both a, a, a mix of gender and and locations um, because it seemed like you had a greater representation of people who actually knew what the industry was going through. And I will just say this, I don't ever hear anything really about Cedia except lately. And, you know, I live in Dallas. Cedia was here in Dallas. I didn't go to the show. Um, but I've talked to a lot of people who did, who said, man, it was really a great event this year. Like this was maybe one of the best ones in a long time. And then just by happen chance, I've run into people at events. Uh, uh, Total Tech Summit out in Orlando had some some manufacturers and some dealers that had been out there, and they they were really positive about it. So it seems like they've got some real momentum uh, under them right now. So I think they're they're obviously doing something right over there. So kudos to them. All right, Gladys, you'll have the last word on this. Uh, how should we get folks onto uh, onto our governing boards? Sure. Yeah, I'm not super you know, involved with Cedia. Um, so I would also be speaking as an outsider. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, I agree with Michael, what, what the write-up showed of these new board members, they do seem to be impressive. I, I like that there is diversity in thought there. They seem to have a very strong IOT background of sorts, you know, with home automation and all of that. And I, I do believe that, you know, with AV and IOT kind of overlapping and that overlap continue continuously growing i feel like that's a good um just pov for for cedia but um I'd, I'd have to agree with gary you know whatever the bylaws are i probably would 
but try to try to stick to that as as much as possible. All right, gang. Uh, thank you all so much. I appreciate your time. Um, Mr. Gary K, how do people connect with you and or Rave? Uh, Gary at the raveagency.com, T H E raveagency.com, or Google my name. It's weird. Weird enough a spelling that you can find me. Uh, or or they can call you, Tim. You know how to get in touch with me. And, and go to ravepubs.com. So there, there, there's also. Thank you. And I appreciate y'all reading my article. I'm glad that that was, that was a thing. So thank you. All right. Uh, Mr. Brock McGinnis, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you? Um, I'm uh, at Brock McGinnis on, uh, on Twitter. That's uh, from a social perspective. That works for me. I won't comment on Twitter at this moment. I was going to say until, until I don't, 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 please don't. Here. It's not, not right. <laughs> Gladys, how do, how do people connect with you? Sure. Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Gladys Maraquin, just a quick search and I should pop right up. All right. Very good. And Mr. Peebler, how do people connect with you uh, or Atlas IED? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm staying away from all the other stuff. So you can you can come find me on LinkedIn. It's not hard. There's not a lot of peeblers in the industry. There is one other. I know her well. There is one other, and you should follow her before you follow Michael. Yeah, yeah. She's smarter, prettier, funnier, all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me, much better. Uh, and uh, and if you want to watch or check out Atlas, uh, www.atlasied.com. Um, and keep an eye on what Gina Sansevero and the marketing team are doing. Some really great stuff coming. So super excited. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've said this for 10, 11 years now, so I guess this really makes sense. Do not follow me on the Twitters, because uh, who the heck knows. But go by the website, if you would, please, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. I mentioned the special with uh, Daryl Friedman, the CEO of, of Cedia. You can check that out. We also have a number of other Specials coming down the pipeline, including uh, State of Control episode 100, uh, which is kind of crazy. So that's coming out uh, in December. So check all that out and more at avianation.tv. It's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>